You guys be seated. You guys, hope you guys are preparing for a good week of the 4th um, and all the festivities that you may or may not be participating in. I don't know how you're doing your celebration, but I have loved hearing from some of you regarding your time in Proverbs throughout the month of uh, June. Blake Ragsdale, he is one of our church members. He's one of our Awana volunteers. Uh, he's a dad to one of our teenagers here at Rich Fork. Uh, he's also one of the wittiest guys that I know, and uh, he, he posted on Instagram his thoughts and a picture encapsulating Proverbs 26, 27. The proverb is, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling, and this is his depiction of it. He says, don't be like Indiana Jones, be like Jesus, um, some of you are old enough to remember Indiana Jones, all right? Um, and the stone is coming back upon him. So I just, I loved his wit as he is working through Proverbs. A lot of you guys have sent and talked to me about different Proverbs and what they've meant to you. And that is awesome. That is what God's word is intended to do, to shape us, to change us, um, to become prepared to be used for his glory. Um, Proverbs is a, a book that if we allow it to, will set off alarms for us. Guiding us towards wisdom, um, guiding us towards knowing and doing what is right. And it's a set of alarms that'll say, hey, if you'll, if you'll listen, if you'll pay attention, you're going to hear some alarms go off and you're going to read some alarms that, that may go off for your life that might not go off for somebody else's life. How many of you are old enough to remember cars when they did not have an alarm system? Raise your hand. All right, if you're under 30, you put your hand down, all right? They've, they've had them forever, it seems like. But there was a time, believe it or not, those of you that are young in the room, that cars did not automatically all have security systems in them. And I remember going to the mall in Charlotte, and I remember walking towards the entrance of the mall. It wasn't the first time I heard car, car alarm. I remember which mall it was at. The mall's no longer there. They tore it down. All right, and I remember walking towards the mall entrance, and I heard this strange noise in the parking lot, and it was a car alarm. I'd never heard one before. And it's blaring, and it's loud, and, and, and you start wondering, what do I do? Who do I call? Somebody's car is getting broken into, right? You know what I use my car alarm for now? Find my car. Right? And if a car alarm is going off and I'm walking into a store and there's an alarm going off on the car, the lights are flashing, the sound is beeping, I just keep on walking. In fact, a few weeks ago outside my office, there was a bunch of folks here on a particular day and I had my car parked kind of directly across down to the other end of the building and I had my car parked directly across my office and uh, in the middle of the day, somebody's alarm went off. You know what I did? I sat there. I didn't go outside to see if it was my car. I grabbed my keys, hit my button. I was like, nope, not mine. Sat there, kept on working. It kept going off. I didn't go find out if somebody's car was getting smashed. I didn't jump up to go, hey, can anybody figure out whose alarm this is? I just sat there and got annoyed because somebody had accidentally, at least in my mind, hit the key and hit the fob or whatever it is, and their alarm was going off. But how did I know? Oftentimes we hear alarms go off and we go, oh, you know, I've heard that before. I've heard it go off before. I've heard the safety alarm go off. I've heard this go off. And we don't respond to it. 
Proverbs is a book of wisdom leading us and it directs us all through chapters 1 through 10 going, hey, here's this path of wisdom. Here's this path of foolishness. Which path do you want to go on? And there's alarms going off by the writer saying, hey, if you're heading down these paths of destruction, here's some alarms to be listening for. Here's some things to turn your ears and be attentive to. So Proverbs has been our study for the month. It's going to be our study for another week, all right? Not going to quite finish it up this week. But we have stated all along that, that Proverbs is about wisdom, knowing and doing what is right, setting off the alarms to guide us, to help us. Today, we're going to dig deep, all right? Um, as I was trying to put a conclusion on this, I, I, I narrowed this down to what are the false comforts that Proverbs warns us to stay away from? False comforts, here's, here's the way we're going to define this. False comforts promise pleasure and satisfaction, but they produce pain and isolation. False comforts promise pleasure and satisfaction, but they offer, in reality, pain and isolation. So, I started with this list, and it was a longer list, and I narrowed it down a little bit. And here's where the list ended. It ended with these false comforts. Drunkenness, sexual immorality, greed, gluttony, laziness, pride, envy, and other raw emotions. And my goal was to cover all seven of those this morning. We're going to get to one, all right? We are not going to cover every angle of every one of these. All I want to do is sound the alarm then it's your responsibility between you and the Lord to prayerfully inspect your life, your beliefs, your backgrounds, Scripture. But I'm begging you, don't ignore the alarms from Proverbs. Because we're going to see false comforts promise pleasure and satisfaction, but they produce pain and isolation. So we're going to jump into the deep end of the pool this morning, and we're going to talk about drunkenness. Overindulgence of alcohol. However you want to term it, um, I was praying and praying and praying. Uh, and, and so you know, oftentimes when I get done with my message, I send it out to different folks and say, hey, would you read through this? Would you, you know, examine this, preview this for me? Um, and in this instance, I want you to know, all the people that I sent my message to that are within Rich Fork and outside of Rich Fork are folks that have dealt with alcoholism. Those are the folks that I sent this message to because I wanted their response and in every response, the wording was almost the same. I wish someone would have sounded the alarm sooner. So I just want to sound the alarm this morning. A couple things. I'm not here to badger you. I'm not here to beat you up. All right? I know within this congregation there are a myriad of stances on the use or, not the, or non-use of alcohol. I understand it. I got it. All right? We good? So far we are. All right. Jesus, yes. Jesus turned water into wine. It's biblical. It's there. Got it. First Timothy, Scripture speaks about the medicinal use of alcohol. First Timothy, Paul also warns to not be enslaved by the overuse of alcohol. As we walk through this, we're going to examine it through Proverbs, but also through the lens of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, neither of these verses deal solely with the overindulgence of alcohol or drunkenness, as the Proverbs writer puts it. But they deal with all of these false comforts. 
in those two sections. And here's the two verses that I think are very important for us as we walk through this discussion of alcohol and also this discussion of drunkenness this morning. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So in order to examine the path of drunkenness, we briefly have to talk about the consumption of alcohol because you can't get drunk without it, right? Some of you are like, I don't know. That's good. Keep it that way, right? But again, this is not an all-inclusive discussion. This is not something by which I would want to create distance or difficulty between you and I. I want to sound alarms where I think we need to sound them and then us prayerfully examine. From these two passages, the question I believe we need to lay upon ourselves individually is, is this behavior beneficial to me and to others? Lawful, beneficial, permissible, helpful, as uh, Corinthians, as Paul says, not all things build up, not all things are helpful. Is this behavior beneficial to me and to others? I have never, in 21 years of ministry here at Rich Fork, I've never had any couple, any teenager, any adult walk into my office and say, Pastor, you wouldn't believe it. My wife and I started drinking together and our marriage has gotten remarkably better. It's never happened. It's never, it's never been something that I've heard anybody walk into my office in all my discussions. It is without a doubt, statistically, you can go home and read this. I'm not going to give you page after page of statistics. Alcohol is a substance in our culture that produces one of the most detrimental financial woes in the lives of people in our culture, in our society. Study the numbers. It's one of the highest killers of teenagers, of young adults, it is one of the highest causes for divorce, and it is a gateway, not my statistics. I can give them to you later on. It is a gateway into other destructive behaviors. But I don't want to just give you stats, all right? Because you're not a stat, I'm not a statistic. But I've got to sound the alarm for you of overindulgence. I'm also not naive. I'm not stating here this morning that everybody who drinks a glass of wine is, is a drunk, Okay? I'm not, I'm not stating that, so don't go out going, wow, I can't believe he said that about me. It's not what I said about you, all right? I'm not stating you're evil. I won't state that about you. I can say with confidence this. If alcohol is not consumed, then drunkenness cannot happen. I think we can all agree with that. If alcohol is not consumed, then drunkenness can never happen, can never be a path of destruction or a table that we sit at looking back to our second week of Proverbs. But Proverbs gives these and many other glimpses into overindulgence of alcohol. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a baller, a, a brawler. Baller is like a really good, never mind. And whoever is led astray, it's the ADD in me, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 23, if you, if you were reading with us, Proverbs 23 uh, gives to me one of the most poignant descriptions of someone who is overindulgent, uh, someone who's drunk, that you'll ever read. Proverbs chapter 23, 
Beginning in verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try to mix wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. This is thousands of years old, folks. In the end, verse 32, in the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder, which is another reference to a snake. Listen to this description of someone who is drunk. Verse 33, your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on top of the mast. Translation, you're going to feel like you cannot stand up straight. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Essentially, the writer is saying, I feel horrible. I'm tossed by the waves. I feel seasick. I'm seeing strange things, but I cannot wait. I am so bound by this foolish behavior that I am so bound that I can't wait to get to the next morning, says this person who's fallen to the false comfort of drunkenness. But I also love how Paul addresses this. Not just aiming at drunkenness, but the, the opposite of and how we combat this situation. We looked briefly at Ephesians chapter 5 last Sunday. I want to look at it again today. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Sounds like he's reading Proverbs, doesn't he? Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't think that Paul, the implication, I don't believe that Paul's implication is that being filled with the Holy Spirit and the glimpse that we have of someone who's overindulged in Proverbs 23 are the same. I do believe what he's doing is he's given us a comparison of these two paths. One is foolishness and false comfort of drunkenness. One is wisdom, pursuing Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I was researching and digging and praying and literally weeping, and I don't say that often up here to get a star, but man, just to be burdened this week. I was reading a blog post by J.D. Greer, who's a pastor in Raleigh. He's also the pastor of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I just want to share with you his thoughts on this Ephesians 5 uh, passage and the difference between alcohol consumption and the pursuit of the Holy Spirit blew me away. Listen to what he says. Paul compares being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit because both are ways to deal with the pressures and the disappointments of life. Alcohol is a depressant that dulls your senses to reality. It makes you less aware of your surroundings. The Holy Spirit, by contrast, is a stimulus that makes you more aware of reality. It helps you cope with the difficulty by opening your eyes more widely to the promises of God's word and of the gospel. 
Alcohol gets rid of worry by making you forget, but the Spirit gets rid of worry by helping you remember the promises of God and His faithfulness. Alcohol gives you courage by making you less aware of the dangers around you. The Holy Spirit gives you courage by showing you how much larger God is by whatever you're afraid of. Alcohol gives helps you cope by dimming your eyes and deadening your heart. The Spirit does more than help you cope. It equips you to thrive by brightening your eyes and livening your heart. But how, may you ask, are we supposed to be filled with the Spirit in comparison? How exactly do we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts? First and foremost, we must submit our lives to Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that yet, if you have not acknowledged, not simply about this false comfort, but realizing that you have sinned and you've never cried out and submitted your life to Jesus, that's where we start. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. But Paul gives in this, he gives a description. So he describes, all right, the, the, the drunk of the Holy Spirit and puts these two right there for us to see together. Paul gives one example. So how do we live according to the Holy Spirit? He gives a beautiful example. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You know, when you go to a movie, you can tell a lot by a movie by what? The music. And here Paul is saying, and as his reply and as his explanation of this, J.D. says, as a reply to that, in order for us to change our way of living, we must allow God's word and our worship to change our soundtrack. I love that image for me. I love knowing that these folks that prepare in this room and the other room and come back in this room, they're not simply standing up here to give us more time to get in our seats. They are preparing us to do exactly as commanded in Ephesians chapter 5, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to God. So that when we walk through difficulties, when tragedy strikes and it's going to strike, our brothers and sisters in Christ they're fallen and they're singing a song of despair. We can help by singing them a song of hope. When you begin to sing the song of fear, they can begin to counter it. With God, all things are possible. When they sing a song of hopelessness, we can chime in and say, he will never leave you or forsake you. Tragedy is going to come. Pain is still painful. But we begin to shape the lives of each other, even as we worship. Paul includes this. He said, here's this warning. Here's what I want you to see. But we live filled with the Holy Spirit. And one way we do that is by worshiping together. The other way he goes on to say that we do that is we've got to know Scripture. We've got to know God's Word. We've got to have it bouncing around in our hearts and our lives so that it becomes our soundtrack. So that when we go through difficulties, the first thing we think of is not our favorite country song or rap song or whatever music you like or dislike. What bounces up to the forefront and the middle of false comforts, whatever that false comfort is, is Scripture. Whatever bounces up in our mind is the promises of God's Word. What bounces up in our lives is the relationship we have with other believers to hold us accountable. We've got to become close enough together to stir up each other's faith in God. We have to be close enough to each other to hear and know each other's hearts. 
The church, in order for the church to be the church, it cannot be an event that you attend, but a community that you belong to. It's got to be not an event, but a community that you belong to. He goes on, he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we want to glimpse and say, man, the false comforts, they promise pleasure, they promise satisfaction, but in the end, they deliver drunkenness, greed, immorality that we'll look at. What they deliver is pain and isolation. But what we see in Proverbs is that we have the opportunity to rejoice that the Holy Spirit lives in us and gives us the freedom to examine beneficial or not, helpful or not, painful or not, sound the alarm, let's examine this behavior and what path it may take me on. This morning I was rereading and rereading and rereading, praying and rereading. And I love Proverbs chapter 30 out of our reading for today. I love knowing that the God who's raising the alarm and saying, hey, watch out for drunkenness. Be careful of this false comfort. It does not have the power to deliver what it says as the power to deliver. What has the power to deliver what it says it's deliver is God Almighty. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4 and 5 says, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? This is a description of God. Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. We serve a God who offered his son, Jesus Christ, as a payment for your sins. Who desires to fill in our lives in those places where we have been consumed by a false comfort. And notice this, if this is really where you are today, with compassion, let me say this, if overindulgence, drunkenness is where you are today, let me just invite you to look with me for just a moment at Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. It says, the son of man came eating and drinking and saying, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus is quoting what people are saying about him because he was a friend to those who were bound in false comfort. He didn't run from those. And so this morning, if you are bound by a false comfort of drunkenness or one of these other behaviors that we'll look at and indulgences that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks, know this, Jesus says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is knowing and doing what is right. Please know that the Jesus who sits and he confronted the behaviors of those who have false comforts, some of their false comforts were religion, some of their false comforts were adultery, some of their false comforts were the mishandling of money, and yes, he confronted the false comfort of drunkenness, overindulgence. And what did he do? He offered forgiveness. He offered grace. I'm sounding the alarm today to this false comfort of drunkenness. 
And this is a dark, hard place for some of you in this room. We don't talk about it in church very often because it's hard. We don't talk about it in church very often because there's so many different views of the behavior that can, not always, leads to drunkenness. Now, I'll share with you my view for me. I, I believe the way for me to stay away from drunkenness is to not dance with the behavior that'll take me there. That's me. I have a family heritage of alcoholism going back multiple generations. I look in my life and my children and relationships and ask the beneficial question, knowing and doing what is right. I, I don't drink. Uh, I never have. I have no desire to. I just don't want to walk down that path. I don't trust myself down that path. Now, I know some of you may look at me now and go, man, you're not hip or cool or trendy. I get it. I was not hip and cool and trendy. You know, that quit about 25 years ago, all right, if I ever had it. But I also want you to know this. I share my personal views because I know you're probably going to ask me after today. But I'm not sharing you with a harshness to alienate you from a relationship with me, from any of our pastoral staff, to have a discussion, to have fellowship with you. I'll sit across the table from you. I'll have a relationship with you. I have that with many of you that I know have a different viewpoint in this. I will love you. I will care for you. I will uplift you. I will grow with you. But know this. There is no scriptural support for overindulgence and drunkenness. And that path is slippery. And with that destination of false comfort of drunkenness, it will wreak havoc on your home. It'll wreak havoc on your relationships. But I love you enough because I believe that we have the power to shape this community and these are the false comforts that we've got to get rid of in our lives in order to have the greatest impact on our culture. False comfort promises pleasure and satisfaction, but produces pain and isolation. It's my responsibility to sound the alarm, to encourage you, to say, how do I need to change the soundtrack what do I need to put in my life in practice to, say, to change what's going on in my life, the behaviors? It may very well be time for some of you to reconsider, to confess this false comfort of drunkenness and the destruction that it causes. I know without a doubt there are those in this room, that's where you are. And I love you. I care about you. I care about your homes. I care about your future. Because of that, we can't walk through Proverbs and not examine this false comfort because it will bring pain. It will bring isolation. Let's pray this morning.